0: Hey, welcome. Glad that you are uh, here uh, tonight. Uh, actually, I want you to stand back up, if you don't mind. We didn't, we didn't work that out, Michael and I, so that's not his fault. That's my fault. Go ahead and stand up. Uh, I, I want us to, uh, you know, we've been talking about the kingdom. If you're a guest with us tonight um, or you weren't here last Sunday night, we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about the kingdom of God, which Jesus has made available to us uh, here and now. And... Uh, and and Jesus gave us a, a, a pledge in the Gospels. Um, and, uh, and so I want us to say it together. And it, it might be something that we just start saying together because we're getting ready to open up the scripture. And God has given us a lot of things to do. Right? That's how we abide in Christ, by hearing his word and then doing his word. And then we get to know him more and then we hear his word more and we obey like we live in this cycle. But if you said, what does God want for me? You could list a thousand things tonight and we're getting ready to make a, a pretty good list. And thankfully, Jesus said to some people, there, are, there is one pledge, there is one thing that all that other stuff hangs on. And and he gave it to us. Uh, Jesus said this. uh, Will you go ahead and put it up? Uh, Jesus said the first half of it uh, every morning when he woke up. Before his feet hit the ground, uh, he, he said this out loud probably, and then all throughout the day, and then in the evening, they would say it again. Now, what's unique about Jesus is he added that second part. Both come from the Old Testament law. Uh, The top half comes from Deuteronomy, and the bottom half comes from Leviticus, and Jesus is the one who jammed them together, and he gave it to us, and he says, all the stuff that I want you to do, it hangs on those two things, and so I'm going to say it out loud first, and then I want you to join me on the second time. Everybody clear? This is our pledge because we have dual citizenship at best case scenario we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven Hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength the second is this love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these so this is really the end of tonight what are we going to do when we leave we're going to do these two things so let's say this together Remember, Jesus, he, he didn't speak English, but we, we're speaking English tonight. But, but he said these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Amen. You can have a seat. So we are talking about the kingdom of God, and the reason that we were talking about it, as I shared with you last week, was really kind of an observation about my own life, reading in the Gospels, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all start with Jesus going out into Israel and preaching a very simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of God has come. And so that was his message. He, he didn't have uh, four you know, principles of uh, better living. He didn't have uh, three strategies to a great marriage. His message was repent for the kingdom of God is here. So that was his primary message. And the other thing that I noticed was that when I read, especially the book of Acts, but then reading the subcontext from the rest of the New Testament, my life and the life of those early believers, not the same. Right? Uh, and, and, and my Christian experience and what seems to be their Christian experience radically two different things. And I am not a rocket scientist, but I wonder if those two things are connected. That Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. And maybe because he did and his first followers really listened to that, they believed that, they believed that they were from some other place. They lived a much different Christianity than most of us have been taught to live. And so I thought that we would change all of that in the course of one month. <laughs> That's a joke. So the top half of your listening guide, if, if, did everybody get, don't, um, if you didn't get one, they're, they're probably in the back. Somebody might have some extra. Uh, the top half is just a review from last week. The kingdom of God is whoever, wherever, whenever Jesus' Lordship is acknowledged and obeyed. How do I know what the kingdom of God is? It's wherever Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord in your life, then you are living in the kingdom of God. Whenever you get together with your friends, if Jesus is Lord in that gathering, then the kingdom of God is there. Whenever the church gathers, if we are saying out loud and believing in our heart and doing in our actions, Jesus is Lord, then the kingdom of God is here. But it doesn't matter what kind of sign we put out in front. If we are not acknowledging and then changing because Jesus is Lord, then this is not a church. This is the worst country club ever. It's... Whoever, wherever, whenever, Jesus' Lordship is acknowledged and obeyed. So that even is good news for those of us who have not been very religious. For most of our life. In fact maybe that's why you've come tonight. Is because you felt like maybe that's what God wants from you. Is to be a little more religious. The answer is whoever. If you're willing to acknowledge tonight. That Jesus is Lord. Then you are as welcome here. And as a part of this. And have access to everything. That even the most seasoned of saints in the room. Has and is welcomed by. The kingdom of God is whoever, whenever and wherever. Jesus Lordship is acknowledged and obeyed. Then you see under that, Jesus talked a lot about the present age and then the age to come. Uh, Another way of of talking about this present age that we're living in, uh, he he said that the ruler of this world, which is a weird thing for Jesus to say, I mean, he's supreme. Colossians chapter one says he's the head over everything and nothing has come into existence except through him. And yet he said about the devil that he was the ruler of this world, because that's really the difference between the present age that we're living in and the age to come. In the age to come, Jesus is Lord and everything operates according to his lordship, just the way he. wants it. But in this age, Jesus is not designing the systems. For some reason in God's sovereignty, Satan has been allowed to arrange all of that. And that's why we're bumping into brokenness all the time. Brokenness in governments, brokenness in schools, brokenness in our lives, brokenness in our neighborhoods. It's because the ruler of this world has designed this present age. But when Jesus returns with his second coming, Then the kingdom of Jesus will begin and everything, every system, every organization, every group is going to operate according to his lordship. The age to come is also synonymous with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. You'll see Jesus use those four terms um, interchangeably. Then the next thing in your listing guide, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, eternal life, and the age to come are here and now for all those who hope in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So God, by his grace, is saying, yes, this is the age to come. This is the, the rule, everything coming underneath the authority and lordship of Jesus, but God gives us that. He gives us more than a preview. He gives us an experience of it. We don't just have to wait. Until kingdom come, we get kingdom come here and now. Now this week, you'll see the first thing in your listing guide there, the font gets a little bigger. That's how, how you know, from 10 to 11, in case any of you are interested. Acts chapter one, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter one. It says, then they gathered around him, this is verse six, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So let's look at Acts chapter one, just so we're understanding what they're asking, why they're asking and how Jesus responds to that. That was a question they asked in verse 6, but let's go ahead and start in verse 1 so we're all on the same page. In my former book, Theophilus, this is from the, the, uh, the physician and follower of Jesus named Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote Luke as a letter, um, as a gift to his friend Theophilus, and now this is part 2. So part 1 was about Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and... Part two is about what the followers of Jesus began to do. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about Jesus, what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is why a Christian can't be a nationalist. I don't care what nation you're from, but this is why you can't be a nationalist right here. If you are a follower of Jesus, can't be a nationalist. I don't care how you vote. You can't. You've got to be a globalist because Jesus has given you a mission that extends to every person on planet Earth. It starts at home here in Houston, then Texas, then the United States, but then outside of the United States. That's why Jesus said about his kingdom, kingdom won't come until his good news goes all the way around the world and every group of people assembled. In languages and tribes, some we know about, some we don't know about. Once they've heard about Jesus, then his return will happen, but not until then. He says, You got to wait for the Spirit, and then you're going to go everywhere. Verse 9. After this, he said, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. So their question, verse six, Jesus, you have been crucified. We understand that that crucifixion, that death was for the sins of the world. But now you've been raised from the dead. Now is the time when you are going to restore God's kingdom on earth, starting with Israel. And Jesus' response was, no. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But then he gives him a mission. And then the the angels, in verse 11, give them a promise. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So their question is about the kingdom and the angels connect the dots for them. It won't happen until he returns. When is he going to return? It's not for you to know the the, the dates and times. Lots of people have attempted that, but none of them have gotten it right so far. He says it's after Jesus returns to you in the same way that you saw him leave. Right? So there is the transition between the ages, the present age and the age to come. It is when Jesus returns. Turn now to Joel, little prophetic book in the Old Testament. If you're not sure where it is, that's why they put the table of contents inside your Bible. There's no shame in, in using that. I, I bet 90% of us couldn't make our way through Joel and Habakkuk and Haggai and so find the little book of Joel. It's three chapters. The prophets, they talked a lot about the day of the Lord. And you see in your listening guide, the scriptures represent the day of the Lord as God's visitation to earth for the purpose of judgment and salvation. So when God needed to come to earth and by come to earth, meaning be present, uh, take action. They called it the day of the Lord and it was for two purposes to set things right. So there had been injustice on a massive scale to come and judge that, condemn it, and change things, or to rescue his people Israel. And we see both here in this little book of Joel. We're just going to skip around, but uh, we'll start in verse 14. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. So Joel is prophesying God is going to come. So you better get ready. You better start fasting. You need to alert everybody because God is coming and things are going to be destroyed. Now skip ahead to chapter two, verse one. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Verse 12 of that same chapter. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God chapter 3 verse 1 in those days at the time when i restore the fortunes of judah and jerusalem so now the day of the lord is something good god's going to come he's he's going to restore what had been taken from Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 14 of chapter three, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Verse 21, shall I leave the innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. So we see in this little prophetic book of Joel, and you can go and read it after church is, is over. I mean, it'll only take you probably 15 minutes uh, to get through it and understand it. They're, they're talking, well, it may take you 15 minutes to get through it. It might take you a long, longer than that to understand it. But, but it, it's all about this day. God is gonna visit his people and he's gonna save us or he's gonna destroy us depending on which side you are on. And even Israel fluctuated between which side they were on. Sometimes they would be on God's side and God would come and rescue them from the people that surrounded them. The people that were trying to do them harm. And other times they sided against God. They worshipped all kinds of false gods. And God came and visited them and, and, and they were destroyed. Jerusalem was burnt to the ground. You see in your listening guide, in the New Testament, it sees the day of the Lord and the return of Christ As synonymous. So if you go home and do a a search on one of the Bible platform, online platforms, uh, uh, Day of the Lord. In the the New Testament, what you're going to see is the Day of the Lord referencing Jesus' return. It's also called the Day of the Lord Jesus or the Day of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God is visiting earth, when God is coming again in his son, there's going to be salvation and there's going to be judgment. Even this morning, if if you came to church, uh, we talked about John chapter five, where Jesus said that he is going to resurrect the dead and some he's going to judge and some he's going to welcome in. Last week in Matthew chapter 25, uh, again on Sunday morning, it says that Jesus is going to come and separate the sheep from the goats, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Salvation and judgment. The day of the Lord is the day that Jesus returns. Now, when is he going to return? That's a big question. If you can figure it out, you will be a millionaire. Guarantee it. Everybody in America will buy that book. In fact, if you just want to make some extra pocket change, just write about when Jesus might potentially return because it will be a bestseller. It doesn't have to be good. People will buy it. Because it's really interesting, is it? especially as we look out on the world and it is definitely on fire in a dumpster, right? We, we want things to change. Everybody wants things to change. Those of us who follow Christ, we know things are going to change when he comes. And so we're, we're just looking for a little bit of hope. And so anybody who can talk about these things um, finds our, our interest. Well, as people have studied eschatology, eschatology is just a, a sciencey, churchy word for the study of the last things. Uh, they interpret the Bible in four primary ways. Uh, you see these in your listening guide: the four historic views of es. I'm not even gonna try to say that timing, eschatological timing. There is number one dispensationalism. Number two historic premillennialism. Number three. Post-millennialism. And number 4 Ah all-millennialism. So you can see those and write those down. I'm, I'm going to explain those uh, just a little bit. Dispensationalism, historic pre-millennialism, post-millennialism, Ah millennialism If you like to draw, uh, dispensationalism is represented in this little drawing here. Uh, If you just Google any of these, like, that's how I got this picture. I Googled it, right? Uh, and, And so you can go and Google it. You don't need to... To draw it this is dispensationalism but everything is is built around in these four different views around that big word in the middle millennium in revelation it talks about this period of a thousand years and people cannot figure out what Jesus means by that does he mean a literal thousand years like he pushes the go on stopwatch and then at the end something changes is it mean metaphorical do we interpret it spiritually and so that's where all of these different theories come from and so this is dispensationalism the next one is historical Premillennialism. uh if you can flip to that one it, it looks a, a lot the same uh the, the only difference is in dispensationalism jesus is going to return in two parts uh the first part is secret and so all the believers he'll come and get and then take those people back with him to heaven and then we'll kind of all come uh seven years later it's very weird to say out loud but uh it there's Some evidence for it. Uh, In historic premillennialism, he's just returning uh, one time. Then there's postmillennialism which not very many people in our culture these days, theologians really believe in. What's interesting about all four of these views is they all came to prominence at different points in history and all related to the season of life or the, the situation that was happening in, in this time. In fact, in the 20s, uh, post-millennialism was the most popular, and it, it was the roaring 20s. And so lots of people in America, of course, not everybody in America, but lots of theologians in America were having a great time. It was the Gilded. Age, lots of money, lots of wealth, lots of power for those people. And so they believed in a theology that said, hey, uh surely it's just gonna get better and better and better and better and better and better until Jesus returns and then it's like the best. Right? Um, of course the 20s didn't last very long, and so this one fell out of popularity and a new one took its place. And then the last one is all millennialism. Which really, I'm oversimplifying this, but um, everything is uh, spiritual. Um, Everything is sort of metaphorical. Um, It's real, and and certain things will happen, but the dates, the times, the order, they're not as concerned uh, about that. My grandfather was a total nerd about these things. In fact, I remember coming over to his house one time after Amanda and I were married. We were visiting down here from Texas, drove back up to Missouri uh, to see him and walked into his little house and he was sitting in a rocking chair reading a Bible commentary about the book of Revelation. Now, I don't know if you've ever read a Bible commentary about the book of Revelation, not a page turner, not any of them, but he just loved these things. He loved God. He loved God's word. And this really, really interested him. Now at his church that he came to faith in and then therefore the church that I came to faith in, really the only. Only one that we ever talked about was that first one, dispensationalism. So when I went off to college, I have a degree in Christianity, just very vague, nothing specific there. Uh, <laughs> I learned that, oh, hey, throughout history, people have interpreted these orders and all these different things in lots of different ways. And, and so I thought, well, hey, he will get a kick out of this. You know, that, that there's all this kind of information out there that didn't find its way to our small little church in rural Missouri. And so I said, hey, Grandpa, did you know that there's like this and there's this and there's this? You would have thought that I was telling him that I wanted to abandon the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> he just was not here in any of it. Right. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to find out what in the heck these four things are for a very specific reason. A lot of us would be tempted to be like, those words are super weird and I just want to be a cool person and not be weird and be a Christian at the same time. That's all I'm trying to do. (laughs) But I want you to learn about these things and just pick one of them to know. Just pick one of them. And then, but hold it open handed. Pick the one that you think is the most accurate because there are lots of arguments for all four of them. All four of them have some giant holes in them, questions that they can't answer. Uh, But what most of us uh, do is we'll just leave that to super Christians. And and we're going to see this in just a second. Your today is totally determined by what you believe about tomorrow. And so if you don't have any belief about what is coming down, it is. That ignorance is bearing fruit in your life right now. So I want to encourage you to do some research. There are all kinds of great books and resources. I'll be out in the lobby and can give you a very specific reading list if you are interested. Um, None of them are perfect. In fact, probably the best thing is just to try to jam them all together Um, But know for yourself what God has said is going to happen because he has decided that these four very churchy, very scientific words, what they represent is the transition from the age that we are in now to the age to come. From the domain of darkness, Colossians chapter one says, to the kingdom of God's beloved son. That's why those four words are important. The next thing that you see in your listening guide is new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. We won't go back up uh, to those uh, funny drawings, but all of them at the end say the same two words, new heaven and new earth. So if you have a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 21. This is the very end. Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. In verse 1 of chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful uh, and dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So where all of those churchy words end up are these three things. New heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. And it tells us a few things about the new earth. It tells us that God is present. Not spiritually present, but he's he's literally there. Tells us that there's no sea, which is interesting. All you beach people, turns out you were wrong. God is a mountain person. I'm kidding. The reason some Bible scholars believe that there is either no sea or John does not see a sea and writes it like this is because the sea represented something very scary to people in the first century. You know, they didn't have submarines that could go down and see uh, the Titanic there at the bottom, right? Uh, All they knew is that was the depths and there were terrifying stories of sailors who would sail away and never come back. And so the the sea really represented something dark and ominous. But in the kingdom of God, the age to come, there's not any of that. And so if the sea represents those things, of course, there is not going to be a sea in the new earth. There's no sea. There's no sorrow or pain. There's no death. Uh, In Hebrews, it tells us that there is rest. But there are also places in the New Testament that tell us there is work, which isn't that going to be an amazing combination? That we are going to have responsibility. We're going to have something to do. We're not just going to twiddle our thumbs all day and as some preachers have told us, just sing constantly for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Right? Now some of you are musicians. That sounds amazing. It's not going to sound amazing when I'm present. Right? Right? We're going to have responsibility. We're going to have jobs. The, the earth is going to keep moving. Right? Um, but yet it's going to be restful. It's not going to wear us out. It's not going to to take from us. Work is going to give to us. You know, the hard part about your job is actually from Genesis chapter 3 because God cursed it. Adam and Eve worked in the garden. They had responsibility, right? But it was in the curse, Genesis chapter 3, because they sinned that suddenly work became hard. There's rest. There's work. There's a garden and the garden is in the city. And honestly, there's not a bunch more than that. God gives us the nature of what's to come without giving us the specifics. But what we do know is this is where God is taking everything. And there are three things you'll see in your listening guide that I want us all to take away from all of this. Number one, God has a plan of redemption for his creation. There's going to be a new earth. And it's, it's not new in the sense of like the old one got destroyed. And so um, let me just go and replace it. It's not like when my kids tear up something of theirs and then we have to go to the store and get something new. It's new in the sense that you are going to be new because God is going to resurrect your body through the word of Christ. Whether you're cremated or buried normally When Jesus returns, he's going to speak and you're going to come back to life. And just in the same way we're going to be resurrected, the earth is going to be resurrected. So the question we need to ask ourselves, because again, our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven and heaven is coming down to earth. Am I acting here and now in accordance, that's the blank in your listening guide, in accordance with God's plan for his creation? I don't think anybody could ever accuse me of being green. Uh, But but maybe we should be more. You know, we sort of let certain groups of politicians, which sometimes we agree with, sometimes we don't, we let them dominate that. But why not followers of Christ? We're the ones that know God has a plan. That God is resurrecting the earth. Uh, We don't do it out of fear. Like the rest of the world, we, we know what's going to happen. So we do it because we're honoring God and the plan that he has had from the ages to take the thing that he created and make it brand new again. So am I acting in accordance with this plan? I started a compost pile in my backyard probably three or four months ago. It's going fine. I don't really want you to come over and see it. But honestly, I, I feel great when I throw my banana peels in there and cover it over with dead leaves. And I feel great about it, not because I feel obligated or somebody told me when I was in school that this is what I needed to do. I feel great because God is going to resurrect his earth and make it new again. And I feel like in just that very simple, probably insignificant way in the grand scheme of things, I feel like I am honoring God and his plan. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it looks like we should just all bring mugs next week and not use paper coffee cups. I don't know. Maybe we should try that on. Maybe it means we make different decisions. Maybe just in general we should think um, everything belongs to God and it's not his job to create it and my job to consume it. And that it's my job to line my life up with wherever and whatever he is doing. Second thing that I want us to take away from all of this. The new heaven and earth and Jerusalem are a source of hope for today. The new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem are a source of hope for today. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. You know, what's interesting about Revelation, we treat it like it just came straight out of the sky. Landed down on planet Earth and then somebody found it and let us all know. But it's a letter too. all of the New Testament books were originally letters. And John is given a tour of things to come by an angel and he writes it down. But he doesn't just write it down, stick it in his pocket or put it in a Google Doc. He he turns it into a letter because Jesus told him to send it to seven specific churches. And this is what he says in verse 9, speaking to those seven churches. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance. He's writing a letter, this letter, which has all about the new heavens, new earth, and new Jerusalem. He's writing it to Christians who are being persecuted. And what is God's hope for them? It's not, hey, Jesus is going to come. He's going to swoop you up and uh, take you back to heaven. And then he's just going to burn all this to the ground. No, the hope, the end, the end of the story that God is giving these persecuted Christians is, hey, Jesus is going to resurrect the earth. Heaven is coming down a city. The new Jerusalem is going to land on planet Earth and good news, God himself is going to be there. I mean, but when was the last time you took hope in the new heaven and new earth? I mean, before the last couple of weeks, I would say never. Because honestly, I didn't even know about it. I mean, I knew about it like I knew it was in there. But nobody ever told me that, hey, this is connected to here and now. God's plan for planet Earth to resurrect it from the dead. Is a source of hope. What you believe about your future affects your attitude today. It really does. And then finally, we live as ambassadors of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. This is how we ended last week, that we are ambassadors of the kingdom of of God. But I love ending it this week today because it just gives it a little more specific of an address. Not just the kingdom of God, but we are ambassadors of... A new heaven, new earth, and even a city, new Jerusalem. So imagine applying Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, that you're a city on a hill. Now we have a city to picture, don't we? And it's not Jerusalem of old. It's the new Jerusalem that's going to come down out of the, out of, out of the heavens. Uh, when Amanda and I lived in England, for just that brief window that we did, it was over the 4th of July. The 4th of July I was in there. Of course, the... People in England don't celebrate the Fourth of July the same way that we do here. I never really thought about that until we were there. But the people in our church loved us. They loved a few of the other Americans that were there in the church. And so they kind of threw a party, Fourth of July party for us and, and for our fellow Americans there. And they had all kinds of American desserts. They even made us American uh, Christmas ornament ornaments. There's a little red, white, and blue flag type thing that hangs on our Christmas tree every year uh, that they made for us. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't remember but um, exactly if we sang the national anthem or any of that kind of thing. But I I remember being at that party, just being very aware that I was not from there, you know, and you don't ever think about that, right? When we're saying the pledge, when we're singing the national anthem, when we're saying God bless America and my country tizzy and all those things, I mean, they just seem like very normal to us, right? But they're uniquely American in the sense of people in Canada are not singing songs about America. People in Mexico are not singing songs about America or saying uh, poems from America. That's sort of a uniquely American thing. And so now we're, we're realizing, oh, okay, I mean, I may be from the United States or I definitely live here now, but I'm really from this other place. I'm, I'm really a part of a new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem. That's really where I'm from. But isn't it great that God has given us songs and pledges and culture from there that we can do here now? I mean, that's what church is, honestly. These songs that we sing, they're worship to God. They're also our national anthems. Every time we come to church and we sing songs, what we're saying is, I am not from here. I'm from somewhere else. I just live here right now. But when we leave here, we're just out there with bunches of people that are from here because they've not yet, Colossians chapter one, verse 13, been transformed, transferred, and transformed into the kingdom of God's beloved son. So we come back every Sunday, and hopefully even more often than that, to be be around people who have our citizenship. Um, God has given us his word, which are our founding documents. Uh, This is our declaration of, probably not independence, but dependence. This is our constitution. This is our national history. This is our list of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. And so we come around it every Sunday and more often than that to just make sure, just make sure Jesus is my Lord. Am I living according to that? Am I understanding it? What is it that what God wants me to do and, and to be in this world? And then, holy cow, we have prayer. Prayer can be hard and prayer can be honest, let's just, Prayer can be super boring and put you to sleep. There's a reason those disciples fell asleep when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. No judgment from me. But the truth is, is prayer, holy cow, prayer is not from here. Prayer is a telephone call from another place. It might as well be another planet. Prayer is a whoa, I am talking to someone who isn't even in this age. I mean, think about how, I mean, I kind of want to end right now and just pray. It's a lifeline to the place that we are from. I think if there's one thing that I want us to walk away with in this whole four weeks, It's just that we are not from here. You know, it's a cliche to say this world is not our home. No, this world is our home. Just our house hasn't made it here yet. Our city hasn't made it here yet. God sent us ahead of time as ambassadors, as representatives, as down payments of what is to come, as a gift to other Houstonians. There is a world that is coming that you don't know anything about. But here I'm giving my people to just give you a little taste so that more and more people can join us in God's kingdom. Oh, it's good news that the then and the there is coming here. And that's where we're from. So next week, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about uh, kingdom and ethnicities and Chelobi and I are going to do that uh, together because in the new Jerusalem We're all going to be together. We're all going to be mixed and it's all going to be awesome yes. You know, there's gonna be love. There's gonna be unity. There's gonna be understanding. There's gonna be justice And so we're gonna talk a little bit about what it means for us as ambassadors of that place To live like that now even though the rest of the world may not be into that, but we are God's people We got a different address. And so let's go ahead and live now the way that we're going to live then. Amen. All right, let's pray.